So guys, the movie we're talking about is from 1965, right? Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Let me tell you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fun fact. You guys know I love fun facts. Uh, 1965 was a big year in cat movies. <laughs> um, so not only do you was have there, this movie. Was there That Darn Cat? That Darn Cat was number six in uh, highest grossing film in 1965. Number seven was Cat. Cat Baloo. Cat Baloo, yep. And number eight was What's New Pussycat. Huh. How, what about that? Three cat movies in the top eight. Mm. I, I, I've got a question for you guys. I just thought of what animal is out there that needs a movie and hasn't gotten the movie treatment yet. It could be a comedy movie with hijinks. It could be and Disney. You know, it could be one. a heartwarming family story. Yeah. What? What are we? I I'm assume. thinking. I was leaning more towards live action because if you yeah, include anime, I was, was going to say live action manatees. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they're so they are very lovable. They're mm-hmm. kind of slow though. Yeah. And, and their their movie's called That Darn Boat. <laughs> God. You know what's uh a manatee's least favorite kind of comedy? What kind? Prop comedy. <laughs> Shh. Listeners, welcome to a special episode of the Midnight Boys Present, a free podcast. I'm your co-host, Rob, joined as always by my uh, large-chested friends, Joe and Duff. (laughs) (laughs) We're busty. Russ Meyer approved. (laughs) Um, And we're going to talk about uh, Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, which if you haven't heard about it, uh, you probably... this, This movie is in pop culture in a lot of ways that you will probably... And at least for me, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, that. I recognize that. Uh, but we're talking about this because he came through again, guys. He did it again. Our wealthy benefactor. Oh, man. Our sugar daddy. <laughs> uh, Dan just comes through. He just, he just, you know, he's got a big old jar that he puts, I'm pretty sure, when he comes in the house. And he just fills it up with any extra coins, pennies. Dollar bills he finds in it's seat ne- cushions. It's right next to the swear jars, the Midnight Boys jar. Yep. <laughs> he stands at an intersection, and as soon as enough pass- drivers give him dollars, mm-hmm. once it adds up to 50, it's movie time. Yep. So um, we're doing it again. We're doing it again. Like I said, Faster Pussycat Kill Kills, 1965, an exploitation film um, by Russ Meyer. So we're going to talk a lot about Russ Meyer. Um, and uh, we're going to have to first jump into, like, what the hell happens in this movie. Um, so it it's... is stars th- three go-go dancers, um, <laughs> and uh, they race cars <laughs> Quest- in the question, desert. Question, is a go-go dancer just a topless dancer but with tassels? Like, what is the actual definition of a, that, of a go-go dancer? Yeah, I don't know that... that... Like, it must be differentiated from a stripper, right? Right. I'm guess I'm assuming that a go-go dancer doesn't actually remove their clothing. That is my impression as well, and for a reason we'll get into related to the star of this later. But I, I was just curious if anyone knew the actual definition because it's something. There's no way to find out. It's no. just it's just a very '60s term, but then it goes away. Like I'm just waiting for Austin Powers to come in at the beginning of uh, this movie. When, oh, although, it's a, 
it is a swinging affair. <laughs> yeah, also, we for should sure. point out there is before that we even have like this voiceover intro mm. uh, talking about I love like, that. Uh, and I, and so I sent this stuff earlier, and Joe, you maybe uh, uh, realized it, but when I was listening to, it, I was like, oh, this is the intro to Mad Villainy. Yeah, uh, yeah. It uses the yeah. same the same like voiceover and background music. Uh, I knew it oh. sounded familiar. I didn't know. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad so, you said that because it kind of was bugging me. Um, so that's that's like what I was like, oh, and I went back and listened. I was like, oh, my brain put things together. <laughs> um, so, all right. So they, you know, these the go go dancers. They love to race uh, in the in the desert and the salt flats, and they encounter uh, uh, a, a girl and her boyfriend. And they, they're he he was doing time trials. He doesn't like to race against other cars. He just wants to do time trials. And then uh, the go-go dancers take him on on a, a race, and then they beat him. And then um, Varla, the leader of the go-go dancers, then literally beats him to death with karate chops. She, and snaps his <laughs> neck. <laughs> yes. Just karate chops this guy to death, then snaps his neck. Um, so and, this, think- this, and this guy's girlfriend is uh, underage. She's supposed to be like 16 or something. Okay. I'm pretty so, sure. It's never really clear. No. So off they go, and they learn about this uh, uh, a, a old man, a, <laughs> a, a, a wheelchaired man. Uh, my notes are... Uh, <laughs> things get things get real wild. <laughs> yeah. My notes here are rapey old cripple. That's what Did I you, put in my notes here. <laughs> it, it kind of... And I, I wonder if... There was there's any uh, inspiration from this movie to the other one, but like there, it gave me some Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes. Not nearly as creepy, but like just sort of like a very strange family dynamic off in the middle of nowhere. The dinner, and the dinner outside, table thing. The dinner it's table. It's definitely thing. creepy. It's like this movie. Like, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but so you have this old man who's paralyzed and. He has two sons, one of which who is just like a brain dead bodybuilder. Yeah, an idiot muscle dude. <laughs> and and the other guy seems, uh, you know, fine. Well, I, Rob, I don't know that it's fair to call him an idiot muscle dude. It seems like he's dealing with some. Well, he is called the vegetable. But I mean, the whole... <laughs> I know, I know. I'm, I not mean... Sa- I mean, I'm not saying the movie is more kind to him. <laughs> the movie but he, like, is... clearly has some kind of like processing issues or something. Yeah, he's. He has some type of issue, but the movie basically says this guy is a big dummy. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this big idiot carrying his dad around. If you're going to use old fashioned language, so, I, I was surprised that the dad didn't call him touched. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, Special. <laughs> so they 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 have the the girls have this idea that they're going to rob the old man. Um, and I should point out that not only did they after they killed that boyfriend they they took his they took the underage girlfriend so she's kidding they kidnapped they, her they drugged her yeah they had ether I guess <laughs> put a and then we have a lot of like people like a lot of her trying to get away and them getting back and then the the, the three women pairing off in different ways and um you know like uh, one of them is with the the vegetable the other one uh varla goes on with the uh, the other son there's sort of a lot of like back and forth that happens um until eventually everyone just ends up killing each other i don't know (laughs) at at the end of the movie um the the non-touched son and the the teenager are the only people who haven't been run over (laughs) 
or yes, killed. or stabbed. Is, does the old man die? Varla makes her friend hit him with the car. That's right. Okay. Yeah, you're right. This is also a, a good lesson about the importance of uh, uh, curved uh, sidewalks, because that's what does him in, in the end. He can't can't get his wheelchair up over that ledge. Yes, I. Yes, it is, and it is a tiny ledge. Like it, it's like and, an inch and a half of a ledge, and he just can't. That's and his, and people, it's his home. You'd think he'd have done that a million times. And then well, be, he doesn't. His his son wasn't there to help him. <laughs> his son reminds me of that weird bodybuilder in Clockwork Orange who just helps that <laughs> yeah, guy. Yeah, out. yeah, yeah. He did look like Cam. Oh right. yeah, yeah. Um, I want to point out a couple quotes in this movie I enjoyed. Um. The the uh, the girl, the underage girl who does live at the end, um, uh, when we are introduced to her, they say something about when they're talking to the, the guy during the racing scene. Uh, she says, you could time that car with an hourglass, at which point this underage girl comes out and says, did someone mention my figure? <laughs> so that's that's how we're introduced to the underage girl here. Um also, at one point, when one of the other girls is uh, with the, uh, the, the the idiot, bro- the, I don't know what you want me to say, the feeble, mi- the vegetable, as they say in the movie, uh, they, he hears a train, which is how his dad ended up in a wheelchair, and he stops performing, and she says, it's only a choo-choo, no reason to mi- miss the beat. So, yeah, baby. It's like, they say baby a lot. <laughs> baby is said... Uh, uh, quite a few times in it, and of referring to things as being a gas. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. Now, I mentioned it's an exploitation movie. It's the reason uh, is this. We I cannot address this enough. If you are a hoot guy, if you love the hoots, yeah. This even movie, if, <laughs> even if you aren't, like you will like you can still appreciate. What's I mean, they going fill a third of the screen at all times. It. Uh, so the three the three go go dancers are in um, very low cut um, tops during all their all their sequences. That said, I you know for an exploitation film, especially from like nineteen sixty five, were you guys also shocked that there was no nudity? I thought there would be more. I thought there'd I, be some. I'm yeah. I thought there would be some. I wasn't a hundred percent sure. And and this is maybe a good segue into something we're going to talk about. I wasn't yeah. sure the degree to which they were allowed to. Well, like, yeah, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't. I I didn't know if this was like a. I, I guess I didn't know how they were trying to distribute this movie. Like, because I knew I knew if they were going to try to get in movie theaters and stuff, they couldn't yet, right? Uh, no, it could be in the theaters. There's grindhouse theaters at this point that are. But it couldn't. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but it certainly couldn't get like what, like your average, your neighborhood. No, not yet. most. Okay. Most. Not, I think most chains and most like local theaters would not show it. I feel like this was a big drive-in movie and grind, like you said, grindhouse. Grindhouse and drive-ins. Yeah. So, so can I can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. No. Did you? <laughs> you can ask Duff though. Okay, Duff. You, you mentioned you were like surprised. Uh, that there was no nudity. Yeah, just based on Russ Meyer's uh, reputation. D- did you mean to say disappointed? I mean, kinda. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, because to Look, be fair, man, to and, the the lead pussycat tourist Satana is she's a good looking lady. Man, okay, so this is what I was worried about. 
because <laughs> it's hard. It, there's it's no hard. way it's to talk about to this talk movie. It's difficult to talk about this movie without feeling like I'm objectifying the, the female performers. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, on the one hand, like I write justifiably, I balk at that. Yeah. On the other hand, it is That's the, the point movie. of the movie. It's the whole yeah. point. Uh, so I, I feel myself twisted in knots a bit. Well, okay, so let's let's find a, a better way to this. Um, let's, okay. Duff, why don't you talk to us about the production code, and then I can dive into kind of to touch on Joe's question about exploitation and, and more specifically sexploitation films, and then I think that's a nice way for us to then move into talking about Russ Meyer, which then I think opens us to be able to talk more about what happens and our opinions on this. Really quickly, the production code was this kind of weird Puritan set of rules that the Motion Picture Association um, put upon itself to avoid government regulation. And it more or less worked for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why... Also known as the Hayes Code. Yeah, FYI. Postmaster Hayes. Um, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. that you know something's legit when you get like a postmaster to be in <laughs> charge of it. Yes. Um, and so that's why from like approximately 1933 to probably like the mid to late 50s like all because that damn fatty arbuckle (laughs) well because of a lot of reasons but yes fatty arbuckle is the yeah he's he was one of the biggest reasons no pun intended literally um so this that's the reason why like in old movies like people sleep in separate beds and you can't you know uh villainy is always punished and uh, good people always come out on top, and obviously there's exceptions, but basically it was this Puritan moral code that was imposed. And for a long time, um, motion pictures didn't actually have First Amendment protection, which is mm-hmm. just wild. <laughs> like, it was until the 50s, and there was a, a Supreme Court case from an Italian movie called The Miracle that dealt with abortion. Mm -hmm. And then the Supreme Court said that films had uh, First Amendment protection. And that was kind of like the big watershed moment. And from that point on, like, you had people like Otto Preminger and Hitchcock who were like pushing the code. Because it used to be, if you're of a certain age, you remember the Nintendo seal of quality, and which didn't really mean anything except Nintendo was like, yeah, we'll sell this. <laughs> yeah. And that was Which kind of... Like, pr- did we, we had our own seal of quality for a while. Right? We did for a while, yeah. Yeah. The boys seal. Um, we should bring that back. The <laughs> production the production code was kind of like that, but eventually people were like, well, why do we need this? And I think the big, the big one was Some Like It Hot. Um, Billy Wilder, like, he, he couldn't get a production seal. That movie was not approved because of the cross-dressing. Um, and it was a huge hit critically and commercially. And then after that, kind of like everything just kind of started to break down. But the thing was, you didn't have the, the MPAA, um, G, PG, no, RX. No, rating system like that. It, that didn't come about till 1968, I think. Yeah. 1968. And, and so for like most, like essentially for like 1960 to 68, it was like no man's land. And yes. And that's how you end up, and I'm sure this is where sexploitation picks up, but that's how you get stuff like this. And to the question of could this have had nudity, it could have, but it probably would not have been shown anywhere. So, yeah, that's actually uh, a really good summary. And I think the big thing, Duff, that you mentioned is like essentially 
20 years until that court case happens. Like it is a, I mean, that production code, that Hayes code decided everything. Yeah. <laughs> it was all powerful. And, you know, if, if you, if you didn't get a, the Hayes code seal of approval, um, this was also when the movie studios uh, owned the theaters. Yep. And if you didn't get that seal, you couldn't be shown anywhere. And that's like Howard Hughes would fight for years and years, and, you know, on on uh, different things that finally get things released. So, okay, An- another legendary it, it, boob guy along yes. with Russ. <laughs> is this the most consistent thing about Hollywood? Is that the way that it regulated itself is incredibly, incredibly stupid and doesn't work? And it's like, like how- the MPA ratings are also very, very dumb. Yes. I mean. Really, Hollywood succeeds despite itself. <laughs> like it tries, it tries to undercut itself at every possible point. Can we can we expand that a little bit more? America does. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think another thing. There's another thing we have to talk about that happens uh, as well in the '50s that also is important to why why we have the rise of sexploitation films. And it's not only just that court case, but you have televisions and homes now too. And also, like real... also, no one had sex before the fifties. Yeah, that, no. was, that was when sex was invented. But like competitively uh, now, priests arranged for breeding. Um, <laughs> there, there's Babies another... came with a stork. <laughs> there's now like you know in the fifties and sixties. There's now another way for people to get a visual medium that yeah. isn't going to the movie theaters and got uh, got to horn it up to get the people yeah, outside because TV has its own set of you know, rules and ratings. So, all right, sexploitation, my quick history. I really much enjoyed uh, going through and learning about this, and I cannot <laughs> wait to hear your guys' reactions. Uh, what, can, I would like to know what time you engaged in this research. I Listen, I didn't watch anything. I just read articles. Was this, for real. Was this during the, what is, what, the lonely hours? Lost lonely hours. <laughs> uh, would, you post, would you post a, a photo of your browser history? <laughs> All right, he so would because th- it's incognito mode. Yeah. Uh, so the thirties, okay. So there's during just, there's the just one hour where he wasn't browsing anything. <laughs> <laughs> In the thirties, during the Hayes Code, during this motion production code, we have <laughs> we have the first kind of sexploitation films that exist. I did not know about this, and God, I hope you guys didn't either. Are you aware of the gorilla sex? exploitation films of the 30s no oh, um man this <laughs> most famously is this movie called ingagi i-n-g-a-g-i which uh claimed to be a documentary about an expedition in the belgian congo Come on. ending Jeez. with the gorilla abducting a female member of an african tribe for sex oh. so they didn't show anything but was they that a howard this- hughes production <laughs> No, they had this gorilla, like, just grabbing this woman and taking off. Like, it's very much like Tarzan Jane thing, right? Like, you don't see it, but, like, he grabs, you know, the gorilla would, would grab the woman and run off, and he knew. Which, what... which happens in this movie. There's a Tarzan Jane moment. Yeah. That's true. But Jane is the aggressor in in this case. Um, so, guys, you'll be shocked to hear, uh, Ingagi, uh, the film was found to have been shot in California with actors, what? Inclu- including a man in a gorilla suit and a baby adorned with patches of glued-on fur. Oh Come God. on! <laughs> there was obviously, like I said, no sex, but gorillas were carrying women away. <laughs> All right. So God. now, God. Go-, <laughs> go about 20 years later, and we start to find ways around the Hays Code with nudist camps movies so so there was like a, a little part in the, in the Hayes code that like well if it's a naturalism thing you know think of like when you were kids and you would find your 
grandfather's National Geographic. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, boy, <laughs> look at this. This is what would happen. So there was these movies that would happen that would take place in nudist camps, and they featured men and women pl- <laughs> playing sports and swimming and sunbathing. And obviously there was no sex, but there were uh, – Russ Meyer would approve. There were breasts everywhere. Okay. So Were these, like, feature length or were these just shorts? And- um, I think they were featured length. So the, the, these would happen. And then, Duff, you talk about the Hayes Code, post-Hayes Code. Uh, I know it's not officially, uh, but, you know, it starts to lose its teeth in the 60s. I mean, there's you, no, like, official end date for the Hayes Code. It just Well, 1968 of, when it gets replaced. Yeah. Right, with the, but yeah. otherwise, you're but, right. It's, but it's, for, like, uh, like, from 1950 on, like, it gets weaker and weaker. And then, I mean, eventually people just say, why do we need this? This is dumb. And then yeah. it just hmm. keeps going. So now let's get into some Russ Meyer stuff. In the 60s, we start having nudie cuties. This is a subgenre inside of sexploitation films. These are essentially comedies. Uh, from reading about them, it sounds a lot like, the think, 80s sex comedy, but like without the sex. Where you have like hapless dudes and you have hot ladies. Uh, and they, we see the women naked. And so Russ Meyer uh, was like... Did the most famous one of these or the first one called the Immoral Mr. T's. <laughs> um, then in the 60s, as uh, America and humans continued their descent into depravity, um, we have nudie cuties start getting replaced by what's called roughies. <laughs> and these films had a much harder edge. Uh, and these would deal with like racy things such as infidelity, wife swapping, prostitution, lesbianism, drugs, white slavery, rape, psycho killers, sex cults, decadence, S&M, and sexual perversion. I like all that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, go on. Once again, Russ is there, Meyer. Is there a box that I can get of this? Uh, Russ Meyer is the first one with uh, a movie he made called Lorna, um, which made almost a million dollars. Um, and that was before Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. So to answer your question, yes, you could. And he had successfully put nudity in movies before this. Uh, also in the 60s, we have another thing happening, mostly internationally. But we have what's called white coders. And this is... Wait, white wait, coders? Wait. I thought we were white coders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you're, you perked up when you read that. This is um, C-O-A-T, coat. Oh. Yeah, so this is um, this would be sexually explicit content, but a doctor would be on screen first to explain the content so it could get by as being educational. Uh, famously, uh, I Am Curious Yellow is a movie that does this. For, oh. um, so what happens? What you know? What what occurs? Why don't we have these anymore? Well, the part I mean, part of it is the um, the production code, like having the rating system. But you also have other things. People are getting mad. This is, you know, <laughs> it's America. So people are getting mad about all this stuff because this stuff's starting to get popular. Couples are starting to go to these movies. It's, you know, at first it was kind of thought, I think Russ Myers even said, I got a quote somewhere from him, but like he was like aiming at just like white dudes in trench coats, like dudes in crunch coats who were horny. Like that's who he made movies for. Uh, oh, yeah. No, here's his, in his own words, Russ, Russ Myers says the intended audience of his films was, quote, some guy in the theater with semen seeping out of his dick. (laughs) So that's Russ Meyer. We got a lot more Russ Meyer quotes for you guys as we move through this. Um, And uh, and the other reason we kind of have these end is you have the um, 
the rise this is kind of like the golden era of pornography happens rise of hardcore pornography you have grindhouse theaters are closing you have um outdoor theaters are closing like just things kind of changed and suddenly these sort of movies go out of favor along with rise of hardcore pornography which obviously finds its own home later in other ways like vhs and later the internet so yeah i don't know i find all that pretty fascinating so yes, Russ Meyer. Uh, this guy. I mean, this guy lived to be eighty-two. He didn't die till two thousand four. What is um, it? What is there? Some. What are the dark arts? Okay. So there's all <laughs> the, the the right wing always has these theories about like the Hollywood and and DC types about how they like get like baby hormones to keep them living forever. Like, yeah. It must. Part of it must be living in Southern California, right? You get all that sun. I think and that's part of weather. it. And be a part of it's being rich. Although I don't know, was Russ Meyer rich? Uh, he was pretty rich because he owned the rights to all his movies. Okay, it, but there's still, it, despite so, the bad habits in that area, and you know, uh, well, they from, live forever. From what I've read about Russ Meyer, is he wasn't. From what I've again, I'm not sure, but I don't think he was too into drugs or alcohol. Okay. Like he was in the army. He was He's, into boobs. <laughs> he, from what I've read, he seemed like for the first part of his life seemed like kind of a all American dude. Like he went to war and he made movies when he was in the army, he made like like reels and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like kind of like John Ford did. And then he came back and look, we'll all identify with this. He came back and he couldn't get any gigs in Hollywood because he didn't have connections. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, well, I'm just going to make these exploitation movies. And you know, I've, I did a lot of reading about Russ Meyer. I never came across anything about any women saying he mistreated them. And this is where Rob's going to tell me something awful, but he absolutely um, has it just in the holster, which is going to be disappointing, but I mean, I'm expecting it. No, I, I don't, I don't really have anything. The closest thing I've, I've read is that uh, he was, he was pretty upfront that he was too selfish to be a father, which he never became one. So good on him. Right. I mean, if you know, hey, that, don't do good, it. fair, very uh, fair. Yep. Yeah, it's that's totally cool. And uh, you know, he um wasn't he, I don't think he was a great spouse. <laughs> well, he, um, he he got several tries at it. But yeah. I mean, considering like think of all the people from that era who have squeaky clean reputations even though they're having like orgies and probably killed someone running someone <laughs> over like Yeah. Yeah. Like um, he he you know, I didn't come across any like the most of the stories that I came across were about how he he was kind of like a Clint Eastwood like tactician where he's like we're gonna start shooting at five you better be ready like he got those things like kind of like Roger Corman. Yep, I was about to say Corman was like disciplined like that. Yeah. So I don't know if he's this way, but stylistically, and this is maybe a boring thing to say, but I don't know. I thought stylistically this movie was more impressive than I was expecting. It, and it, it, reminded, looked, it looked good. I thought. Remind me of Samuel Fuller in style a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I thought that was impressive. Oh, that I, makes us sound smart, Rob. Thank you. It does. <laughs> um, uh, to, let's continue on sounding smart. Here's another Russ Meyer quote, guys. <laughs> when he first met Tempest Storm, who was like a famous go-go dancer, I think that was in his first movie, the um, the one I'll send you, the Immortal Mister Tease, I believe. Mm-hmm. He says he was <laughs> these quotes, guys. 
when I first met Tempest Storm, I was so in awe for great big cans <laughs> that thoughts like performing badly or ejaculating prematurely ran through my mind, all connected to the dick bone. <laughs> <laughs> I read a uh, quote that someone asked him, how do you find these women that are so busty? And he said, well, at a certain point, they find me. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a, a, a absolutely a fascinating guy. Um, and you know, I, we'll get into, but like, especially faster pussycat kill kill the, the like public or maybe academic viewpoint of it has changed a lot in the last 30 years. Yeah. It which... was a commercial and critical dud. It was one of his few movies to not make money probably cause there's no nudity. Yeah. I mean, but how would you know? I mean, maybe people just. It comes out, but I that is a movie I can imagine if you had seen some of his other, you know, nudie flip, and then you see like the ads for this, and you go watch, and you're like, huh, wasn't what I thought was going to happen in here. Yeah. Um, now, Duff, you know about this more than I do, but Russ Meyer, and only connection I really know about this is he did also make a movie that was written by young Roger Ebert. Yeah. So, speaking of another famous uh, boob appreciator, um. <laughs> And I mean, Ebert has, he said that, I think in his memoirs, like Ebert yeah. likes a busty woman and Ebert and Ebert was a big Roger or not. I was going to say Roger Corman, Russ Meyer booster. Cause he saw whether right or wrong, he saw his movies as satire. He thought they were smart and him and Russ Meyer became lifelong friends. Um, and Ebert, uh, co- it was the only movie I believe, or one of very few that he co-wrote. He wrote uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Which is like, that's kind of considered to be his best, right? Or he uh, considered it, it it's, to be his best. Yeah, movie. it's. The, I think it's the movie that Meyer's most proud of. It's another big cult movie. It's kind of a, it's a send-up of that kind of late 60s counterculture. I haven't seen it. Uh, I have like. you seen it, Rob? I have not, no. Okay. Um, but it's really interesting because... <laughs> And this was even before Ebert won the Pulitzer Prize. Like, this was pretty early on in his career. Yeah, he's not, like, a big power play player in, like, film at this point. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, it was also during his alcoholic years, which may have been a factor in that. <laughs> and and so the other... The, I mentioned um, the intro to this movie. Um, also, this movie has, like, if you just, like, Google image search it, you'll probably like there's like music videos that's influenced like um just the way it's shot these like you know busty beautiful women in the desert and like they're shot like superheroes and there's cars racing around and and all this stuff but like the other big star out of this movie would be the lead character uh varla who's played by is it tura satana i believe that's how you pronounce it is tura satana and you Again, you might not know her name, I didn't, but you know what she looks like. And just diving into her biography is half tragedy and half good for her. And it's it, it, a crazy story. So I'll I'll give you the highlights. She was born in Japan. Um, her father was in silent films and her mother was a circus performer. Hmm. They moved to the United States in 1942 uh, her and her father were put into an internment camp mm-hmm. because they were Japanese. Her mother was not because her mother was uh, had Native American and Scottish heritage. Um, but they were eventually reunited and they moved to Chicago in the late 40s. So here's where it gets really, really dark. 
uh, Tura went out to buy a loaf of bread for her family at age 10 and was gang raped by five teenagers. Oh boy. So that is awful. But here is where the story like begins to pick up. So she, after that, she took martial arts lessons with her father in an effort to protect herself. So she became an expert in Aikido and karate. And she, she kind of became like, like a neighborhood patrol. And she said, I was in a girl's gang that could take care of themselves, but we didn't go around looking for trouble. Usually we went looking to prevent trouble, especially to other girls. By the time she was 13, her family arranged a marriage for her to a 17-year-old, and this is John Satana. And the marriage only lasted nine months, and at age 13, she was already appearing in burlesque shows as a nude model. Okay. And so <laughs> she... And she... Now, some people say that she's an unreliable narrator, but even if, like, half the stuff is true, um, it is a fact that they know she dated Elvis and Sinatra. Uh, I don't know if it was at the same time. (laughs) She claims that she was the one that taught Elvis karate because Elvis was interested in it. Okay. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Did Elvis actually know karate? No. But, like... I was going to say, he... But like in the late se- in the seventies, like Elvis was doing this really cheesy white guy karate stuff on stage. Yeah, yeah. And this yeah, is the yeah, yeah. this is what most people say doesn't really hold up, but whatever. It's still like she also claims that Elvis asked her to marry him. She said no, but got to keep the ring somehow. <laughs> okay. um, she moved to Hollywood and had bit parts in movies. She appeared in two more Meyer movies, and. Honestly, guys, I might read her biography because I saw so many references to what I'm about to tell you that didn't go into it. But I'm just going to read you how I saw this. Okay. She appeared in two more films, The Astro Zombies and The Doll Squad, before she was hospitalized after being shot in the stomach by an ex-boyfriend. <laughs> what? Boy. Oh, boy. Then after that, she abandoned her burlesque career when changes in California licensing laws led many club owners to require dancers to perform topless. And I think this gets into the whole, what's a go-go dancer? What's a, you know, what's a strip club? Yeah. Um, So she gave up acting. She became a nurse, later became a police radio operator. Um, She married a policeman from in 1981 and they were married until he died in 2000. Uh, she was smart enough that she licensed, she trademarked her likeness, so she made a lot of money off of her image, and she did all the fan conventions and things like that, and, you know, had some pretty rough knocks early on, but it seemed like she managed to live a pretty awesome life, and she died just about 10 years ago. Nice. Well, that's a, that's, it was that's quite a the story. Life. Yeah. yeah, it is. And, and I will say, like... Her, she kind of comes off as a big, the biggest star in this movie, and I think part of it is like sometimes there's movies where you have like a director and a star, and you could tell the director is like, "I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make this actor into a star," and yeah. they shoot him like that, and yeah. like Fast and Pussycat Kill Kill, like is is that for sure? Where it's like this, this lady, I'm gonna turn into a star, and he, he shook. I mean, all the women, I think he really. Again, this is that fine line. They're shot like the Snyder Cut, man. I mean, like, it's a fine line between objectifying and, like, recognizing just the filmmaker making the actors look good. 
you know? So, so again, I feel a little weird, but like all the women in this movie look really good. And, and it's not because of their bodies. I mean, in the way that they're shot, like it, it's, it's impressive filmmaking, I think given the resources. So this movie, this movie comes out and as, as Duff mentioned, isn't a success. Uh, yeah. It's a, a, a big flop and it becomes a cult film. And then something important happens in um, 1995. A um, feminist scholar and film critic, B. Ruby Rich, who had originally in the mid-70s had reviewed this movie and called it a retrograde male objectification of women's bodies and desires further embellished by a portrait of lesbianism as twisted and depraved. Um, she rewatched it in 1995 and then totally t- moved 180 on it and called it a body blow to the idea that women are just victims. Uh, she even went as far, <laughs> she even went as far to describe Meyer as quote the first feminist American director. Um, and that's kind of the prevailing thought on this movie now that it sort of like weaponizes their sexuality uh, as they like employ violence to get what they want. Um, Tora Satana is a big uh, gay icon. Okay. And I feel like this movie as well has kind of become, um, I would say it's campy and it's been uh, very much embraced because it's kind of, you know, outsiders fighting back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or at least just causing trouble. Yeah. Well, that seemed to be like from a lot of the most famous like 60s films, or at least the ones that have a lasting legacy, it seems like just causing trouble was enough. Yeah, yeah. Like, like in order to be celebrated, because a lot of the when you really get down, drill into the like, what ideology are these characters actually displaying here? And there rarely is one, or if there is one, it's it's. I don't want to use the word problematic. That's not right, but it's limited, I guess. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a better. But way to but put but, it. but it just seems like as long as from 19 you know in the 1960s if if you were just in some way sort of blindly flailing against the patriarchy or the man so to speak that was enough Um, if you were stepping out of line in any way yeah 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 just misbehaving yeah that that's actually the best way to put it if you're misbehaving then then that's a cause for celebration which i guess I, i i didn't live then so at this point now I, I expect a little bit more like what what do you actually want you know but i get it like anti-conformity up and th- up until like what 2003 or so like like it, anti-conformity is like a really like pre 9-11 kind of thing like not not wanting to conform in and of itself is an act of rebellion mm-hmm. whereas i think in the 21st century like that's not really a very meaningful thing like the, like rebellion, like anti-conformity in and of itself is a is a meaningless thing now. Whereas in the nineteen, it, it peaked in the nineties, I think, where just like not doing what everyone else wanted you to do was it, the end point. Was that that's all you were? That's all you really needed to deliver as a counterculture person. Most anti-conformity stuff comes from the youth, and it's a lot harder to feel like you're alone. In, well, I mean that's not entirely true. Let me reword that. A lot of times, like when you are an outcast, you really feel like an outcast, but I feel like the internet changes that. And now you, you, you can quickly find a tribe of people um, that have that, similar. That's a, that, I think that's, that's a great point and a huge factor as well. But I think that we're maybe right on the edge of that living through that period where it's like, 
if you're in your late 20s and you're not married, you don't have kids, like, what's going on? And for everyone our age or younger, it's like, well, I don't have a house because I can't afford one and I'm not anywhere near being able to yeah. afford one. Sure. Yeah. And, no, and, and so, like, those values that these movies rebel against and, and even through the 80s and maybe into the 90s rebel against too, like, it's not really rebellion anymore that you're not buying a house in the suburbs and getting married and having kids when you're 24. Now it's like, well, I'm not doing that because I cannot afford to, and I never. Now it's will just be a fact. To. Now yeah. it's just it's just a a base level fact of life. So, given all this, I don't give Russ Meyer credit for any trying to say anything. Like, I I feel like he is an if he is a feminist, he is accidental. I think yeah. he, I think he is just. Um, this is the only Russ Meyer movie I've seen. I've read about him. I think he just liked women with uh, big breasts and wanted to be in movies, and he couldn't be in the club, and so this is what he did. Yeah, it's I probably true. Yeah, I think I think there's yeah, I'm with you. I mean, that's you know the thing with any piece of art or in media, you can interpret it any way you want. That's fine. I totally agree. I mean, there's no way that this guy who, who by the way, when asked in his career, another fantastic Russ Meyer quote for you. When asked uh, about this, like, academic attempt to interpret his films, because, I mean, he lived into the aughts, so he was asked this question. Um, he quipped, quote, I've never met a good-looking feminist. <laughs> yeah, but does it even matter what he says, though, no, or what he thought? No, I, well, I mean, obviously not, but I, I I actually think it does, though. Why Why? Why does it? Like, like say, you can, like, is saying that faster pussycat kill kill, and I'm, I'm just... You told me to embrace debate, so I'm doing it. Okay. Um, is saying that it's a feminist film the same thing as saying Russ Meyer is a feminist? I don't think no. that it is. Well, okay. that's a good point. That's um, true. Although I, the critic who originally started this did say he was. Well, that's, again, that has nothing to do with the movie, though. Yeah. Um, sure. I don't know if I have an answer for whether the movie itself is feminist. Uh, I do think... Uh, might as well get into it. I really liked this movie i did not think i was going to i it hit a lot of buttons for me and we kind of covered i think it looks <laughs> the buttons that were unbuttoned yeah look, <laughs> look the great, well there's no one. look if, I'm, i will admit i looked like a tex avery cartoon wolf did the steam coming out of your ears yeah right? like that my eyes popped out let, let, about four let, inches. listen we're three you know straight guys we could just let it out these women are hot like if you watch this movie and like and you you know you pretend to like have to get like mad about oh you know it's their breasts like well yeah <laughs> yeah no i i'm yeah you're right. um I mean, but we we talked about literally the point of the movie um two points uh <laughs> But I think that uh, visually, this movie looks fantastic. Yeah, uh, I would it, agree. It, and one thing I thought about, I think this is kind of, and again, I'm not giving Russ Meyer any credit for this. I think it's just kind of when you make something, it's of its time. But I feel like this pulled together a lot of genres and that I feel like mm. part of it is I feel like this is a film noir in the desert. Yes. And I feel... You know, it has, you know, because it's just kind of this amoral, 
you know, people just being bad and there's no real point to it. It's just, and you know, there's a convoluted plot, <laughs> but it just, it looks great and it's fun. Um, and I actually read somewhere, someone said that they compared the dialogue to a Raymond Chandler novel or movie. Yeah. And I think that the dialogue in this is great. It's just that most of the actors and actresses aren't. Oh boy, I don't agree with that. Uh, I, I've seen that Raymond Chandler quote as well, and mm, mm, that's a that's a big reach. I I think that if you like a lot of the dialogue in here would be perfectly at home in like a Bogart movie. I I boy, my heart wants to go with Duff. It, I mean, let's, I mean, let's listen, listen. There's I, I, there's I, I there's a there's a quote in this movie that says. Oh, you're cute, like a velvet glove cast in iron. That's great. Come on. Yeah, if 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 you're talking like if Humphrey Bogart is delivering that line, it's an it's a just a home run. Yeah, and I I, I think Duff is mostly right, but not completely right because there's also some lines that I think are a dud, regardless of who's yeah. saying it. But but I do think it it's there's a few lines in there that that i like perked up i was like oh that's that's fairly well written but of course again sabotaged by performers that aren't quite up to it i think i think one of the big differences for me for this and why it doesn't work is as much as there's just hoots everywhere on screen (laughs) it's a pretty much like all devoid of eroticism this movie is Mm -hmm. i mean there's there's nothing there's no tension there's no sexual tension at any point between anyone I mean, either... I, I, I guess that's true. I didn't really go in. You, I, I, you, you wanted an erotic thriller, didn't you? I mean, I like. Well, I, you know, I know. I, I'm going to defend Rob on this. Like, it should be sexier than it is. There, it, there's the moment when. Um, it, here's the closest part, and this is. I'm afraid it's going to betray me as being corny. <laughs> um, when she's with the with the brother that has a brain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now I'm now I'm also being offensive, but uh, and she's making out with him on the ground and stuff. And then her fr- the Italian friend, and I feel like given how like um, how offensive her portrayal is, I should say Italian. But uh, yeah, she would. She's she's just like like kind of like writhing up against something and watching them make out and stuff. I was like, okay, now we're here. We go. She's kind of being a, a voyeur and watching them make out, and and she's clearly like kind of experiencing some desire yeah I that think was when i thought the movie at. was kind of gonna get into it but then like it gets interrupted i can't remember off the top of my head why but, but yeah varla and rosie i think are a, a couple or off again i, I kind of got that vibe there are sexy moments so like when when uh the blonde and i feel bad for just referring but again this the is the vegetable is what he's in the credits uh when she's showering uh, with in the water tower it's pretty hot too man yeah. <laughs> um, so, in, in addition to like kind of, I feel like it's it's noir, but there's also uh, elements of horror in it, and that or yeah. psychological horror. Like, I I also got big Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes. Like, it's you know, it just has the like weirdos in the middle of nowhere plot line, and I'm like, seeds. Yeah, they don't have a phone, and it's like, uh, it's just they're creepy and so to me it was just again like it's kind of like an accidental mishmash of all these genres and 60s counterculture and it worked for me way more than i thought it would i thought it was just gonna be another 
one of those like, oh, you had to be there movies, but I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, I'm glad I watched Faster Pussycat Kill Kill because, as we mentioned, there's a lot of pop culture um, uh, waves that kind of continue to flow out of this. And uh, I think I get it now. <laughs> also, I get the Russ Myers girl thing. <laughs> like, oh my God, Russ, we get it, buddy. I think if this is 10 years later, uh, Russ Meyer would have made this and it would have been called either Last House on the Left or I Spit Near Grave. There's Last House on the Left vibes for sure. And uh, thank God uh, Russ Meyer never did that because those movies are just awful. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen I Spit Near Grave. I Rob, didn't we watch Last House we on the Left? We watched Last House on the Left, yeah. Uh, terrible. Just awful. Sometimes things are too dark in the world and you're like, oh. Jesus Christ. Just <laughs> misery. See, here's the here's the difference I'll say in that those dudes thought that they were really smart and making a feminist picture and it's just terrible. And Russ Meyer's like, whatever, I'm just gonna make some money, get some girls who are very chesty. <laughs> Put some hoots in here. Yep. Get some cars yep. driving fast. We start at five o'clock on the dot. <laughs> yeah. Obviously like death proof. Oh yeah. Is owes a lot to this movie, it feels. I mean, yeah, just Tarantino's whole vibe of 60s trash and grindhouse movies. Uh, The other person who's a big fan of this is John Waters, who described it as the best movie ever made and possibly better than any movie that will ever be made. let Let me point out something that I think maybe changed how I felt a little bit is I had rewatched Pink Flamingos for the first time a couple weeks ago, and that movie comes out seven years after this. And uh, boy, it's a lot different seven years because uh, like Pink Flamingos, whatever version of yourself that exists before you watch it is dead by the end and you have a new version that you now live with. And I'm not saying if that new version is better or worse, but it is a new version of you. That movie, that movie over 50 years old is legitimately shocking. And I can't. That is what you get when you can have that X rating. Get you get something that when it's over, you don't even know what happened to your soul. Uh, and I almost think I thought a little bit that that would be kind of a bit of what Faster Pussycat Kilco would be like. And obviously, it's much different than that. Yeah, Fast, there's no comparison. Faster Pussycat I thought was really fun. Uh, uh, Pink Flamingos just makes me feel like I need a shower. For anyone unfamiliar, the most probably one of two most famous scenes in pink flamingos is an uninterrupted uninterrupted shot of uh the drag queen divine uh watching a dog take a dump and then eating it yeah you're not supposed to do that spoilers it's bad for you actually i don't i don't think you'll die from it i think you're it's fine you can get sick you shouldn't well, do that rob <laughs> well you shouldn't do that i agree i'd do it for a couple thousand <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> Uh, patrons, you heard them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, for $5,000, I for sure would do it. <laughs> I mean, God. I prefer I'm gonna not go, to think. I'm going to buy a Powerball ticket tomorrow. <laughs> and if I win. Do I get to choose the dog? <laughs> Can it be Joe's dog? I don't, you don't want I don't know. I don't know. Worst case scenario. I can tell you that, Rob. So <laughs> yeah, one of my dogs. <laughs> so uh, the only other thing I'll say yeah, in yeah. terms of, of in terms of influence, uh, I would I would be remiss if I did not mention uh, the '80s band Faster Pussycat, which obviously took its name from this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they are featured in uh, Decline of Western Civilization 2. Uh, oh boy. I would refer to them as a not as charismatic poison. <laughs> but Man, they that's do, another movie I can highly recommend. But they do have w- what my juvenile uh, soul thinks is a very funny album title, and that they titled an album The Power and the Glory Hole. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Um, do you guys have any additional thoughts on Russ Meyer or Faster Pussycat Kill Kill or any of the topics and sexploitation films and anything you want to talk about before we wrap this up? I, I really want to thank Dan again, because at this point he is paying me to fill in gaps in my film knowledge. Yeah, like, that, with that this, was, like, I'm really glad I got to watch that. Like this and Flash Gordon were like, there were two movies that I've always kind of wanted to see, but just never did for some reason. And yeah, he's just again like i think it's amazing anyone listens to us without paying um and it's super awesome when people like us enough to pay so thank you very much everyone should venmo dan one dollar so yeah a big a sincere thank you and the stupids he also did the stupid yeah i i thought that movie was awesome i still laugh thinking about some of that again like all these movies he's picked i'm like i've always been curious about this movie and you know it I do say, like, I haven't watched any, like, there's there hasn't been anything anyone's paid us to watch where I've been like, oh, this is going to be a chore. I'm like, oh, all right. It's, I mean, listen, again, like, I'll, I'll watch pretty much anything if you're paying me. But, you know, just, again, one, I'm always amazed that people pay us money to do something we'd probably do for free. Um, if you do want us to talk about a movie or you just want to hear more content from us, you can go to patreon.com slash the midnight boys. Um, it's $50 as of this recording to, uh, have us talk about a movie and uh, it's $2 a month and you get access to, we do a monthly show every single month that does not go on the main feed. And then what's next? Well, we have another, um, Patreon paid, uh, podcast that we're going to try to get out before our next season. And then we have our next season, which yes. I don't have a. I don't have a clever name for it yet, but we'll figure it out. But essentially, uh, anyone who knows me personally has known I've gotten back into the wrestling wormhole. Wrestling. And we're going to talk about movies that star wrestlers. And the caveat on this are like, you know, what it. They have to be a, a large role in the movie, and they can't play a wrestler in the movie. So it has to have like a wrestler actually playing a, you know. So, in a movie. so sadly, we cannot talk about No Holds Barred or Spider Man, where yeah. Macho Man's in it for like a he, minute and a half. He plays Bone Saw. <laughs> yeah, that rocks though. It does rock. Uh, so I'm excited about that. And uh, you know, if you uh, if you're just discovering us, you can go to freepodcast.com. We have God, guys. We've done a lot of seasons. We've we've done. Um, We're gonna keep it, and there's nothing anyone can do to stop us. No, nothing. Yeah, at we this have, point, at this point, people are literally paying us to continue. You, yeah, you. And if you want us to stop, if you gave us so much money that we lost interest in podcasting, that would probably be the only way. If I got sick from eating dog poop, <laughs> <laughs> if you gave Rob five thousand dollars, and and which we would have to split three ways by rule. What? No. <laughs> uh, then yeah, he would. He, if he died, that maybe would be the end. I mean, you know, actually, once, we would once, replace it. We would replace it with Meeks for sure. 
Sorry, Rob. Once, once Rob got some stomach parasite, like, five grand doesn't go very far at the ER. Like that. <laughs> you guys would replace me with Meeks and have an episode once every 18 months. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we already got the money, though, so who cares? And the audio quality would be like, Meeks is in this, the fall of Saigon. Like, <laughs> uh, all right, well. He'd be on the uh, think- roof with a helicopter hovering about <laughs> Thanks again uh, to our wealthy benefactor, Dan. And, uh, you know, uh, look look for uh, new episodes from us, especially this, uh, you know, wrestling with film. Oh, uh, it's going to be great. Season we have. I'm really excited about it.